there's a lot of ways that reconnecting with pleasure, studies are showing that pleasure heals trauma. As we step into and connect with more and more pleasure and even just sensation in ourselves and with a partner, that can start to free up our nervous systems to be orienting toward what's well instead of only orienting toward the trauma. Welcome to The Art of We, the podcast where we explore how committed partnerships can be potent vehicles for fully delivering our gifts to the world. Hi, I'm Krista Vanderveer, a seasoned consultant and executive coach. And I'm Dr. Will Vanderveer, a leader and educator in integrative mental health and wellness. As husband and wife and business partners, we keep learning that the key to maximizing our authenticity and impact in the world lies inside the health, security, and depth of our relationship. On this show, we'll pull back the curtains to share lessons, insights, and practices from our own marriage and professional careers that help us thrive. If you're a leader, founder, or overachiever, and you want to leverage your relationships for personal and collective growth, then you're in the right place. Welcome to episode 45. We are so excited about this episode. In our last episode, Will and I shared about external support that we get for our couple. And one of the external supports that we've gotten is around sexological body work slash somatic sex work. And we, we're going to go more into what that means in this episode. But we decided that instead of sharing about our experience in this episode, about our session, our support in that realm, I decided to invite the woman who held space for us to be on the episode to really help describe what we're actually talking about here because there's so much nuance and so much complexity to this type of work. And I feel like it's really important for this podcast and the art of we in terms of intimacy in in the couple because for me, it's a really big process of awakening to places where we've subordinated or we're not conscious about that impact our connection with ourselves, our connection with our partners, and what is thus possible inside of our couplehood. In the next episode, episode 46, Will and I will share what happened in our specific session with Alyssa Marin, who is joining me today. And this is our first episode with somebody outside of us. So it's a special episode. I hope you really enjoy it. There's so much good content in here, including practices that you can do with your partner to help wake up to how to find greater connection and intimacy and ways that you in your own partnership or with yourself can start working with how to get into greater contact with what actually feels really good to your body. So I'm excited for all of you to meet Alyssa. She and I met years ago at the Authentic Relating Community here in Boulder, Colorado, and we've since been in different contexts, including deep friendship and also inside of a container where a lot of what we're talking today was used and explored inside of this container. I'll share more about that in episode 46 as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It's some of the kind of work that I believe is most important for us in our intimate and sexual lives. And you can reach out to Alyssa. We'll put all the information in the show notes if you have more interest in learning more or going deeper or finding some kind of support like this in your area. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
Hi, Alyssa. I'm so excited to have you on our podcast. This is the first time that we've had a guest, and I'm so excited that it's you specifically. How are you? Thanks. I'm so good. It's so good to be here, and I feel honored. To be our very first guest. Yeah, honored <laughs> to be your very first guest. I'm surprised, but honored. Totally. Well, it was just so in the flow. And as as you know, I really appreciated our relationship. I totally appreciate the work that you and your colleagues do. And it's been a big game changer for my life. So I wanted to get into the nitty gritty a little bit more about all of these things because they're so on the cutting edge of healing and intimacy and connection. Mm-hmm. So I thought you'd be the perfect person to speak to this, all of this. So, But before we get into the content, why don't you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about you and the work that you do specifically? Yeah, it, it's always evolving and changing. And the language that I use to talk about it is always shifting and changing. So one thing I use to describe myself is I say I'm a somatic sex educator, which maybe we can talk more about what that means in a minute. But really... I do a lot of guiding people around intimacy with themselves, with the world, with a partner. And the work that I do ranges from working with trauma, everything that's getting in the way of intimacy and connection and pleasure also, to very practical, like what are some steps that we can take to figure out what's going on and learn some new things to really more... I don't know what to call it because it it gets sort of altered states, figuring like being with the whole spiritual aspect of what it means to be in a body connected to yourself and other people and the world and what's possible there. Amazing. Yeah. That's what I, (laughs) that's what I do with people. It sort of looks like typical therapy in a lot of ways. I'm not a therapist. And so a lot of it looks mm. like that, but I would say it's more experiential. And um, and I touch clients, which is a big deal in the world of coaching, guiding, healing people. We tend to really not ever come into contact unless we're doing massage therapy or something like that. And I do quite a bit of touch with clients, including their whole bodies when it's called for and when it's helpful. Yeah. And that feels like it's such deep work. And for me, I think it's probably the scariest in terms of, not for me personally, but for me as an individual hearing, like, oh my gosh, there's mm-hmm. touch involved. So I, I want to get more into that a little bit and just understand it more. Scary, maybe that's not the right word, but more like intimidating as a, as a human who's you know on the journey of always growing and finding my own sovereignty and pleasure and joy and being in this human body. It's such a, such a, such a journey. Now you work with individuals and couples mm-hmm. and, and groups and groups. Yeah. yeah. All of the above. Now tell me a little bit more about the difference between sexological sex education. Am I saying that right? Somatic sex. No, it's, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's a lot of words. <laughs> so there's somatic sex education. Yes. Okay. And there's sexological body work. Okay. So I'm confusing the two because I think in our last episode, I called you a sexological body worker, but you're not. Which is accurate. I am a certified sexological body worker. Okay. But uh, so sexological body work is a pretty discreet body of work that really just is touch the training is in how to touch someone else's body. So it's gloved one-way touch. I touch clients. They're not touching me. 
And it's primarily focused on how to touch people's genitals in that context and how to hold that and why you might get up to that. That's sexological bodywork. Okay, that's helpful. So it's pretty discreet. And then somatic sex education, there's a lot of, I would say that's a, it's developing out of sexological bodywork because what those of us, and there's, I mean, this has been around not that long in the grand scheme of things, but people have been doing sexological bodywork for about 30 years. So it's not brand new. It's been around. But what those of us who have been in the field for some time and people far longer than me have found is that when you get in there and you start touching people's bodies, so much starts to happen for them that can't simply be addressed by knowing how to touch their bodies and touch their bodies well. You're encountering trauma. You're encountering I mean, people's minds need to be included, their nervous systems. And so somatic sex education is a broader umbrella that can include sexological bodywork, but it it allows for a lot of other sorts of things. It's not well-defined at this point, but it's bringing in more capacities than just the gloved one-way touch. That makes so much sense. And, Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that there's that larger container that can hold all of the different things. It feels really important to me. Yeah, it's so needed. So just before we move on, how did you decide to get into this work? And what has it taken to get where you are now in terms of like, do you need to get certification? Do you need to have specific trainings? Just out of curiosity, for those people who are listening and might wonder, how Mm -hmm. does one get into this position where they're able to do this work? Mm -hmm. Not something I ever planned on doing. I did not wake up one day and say, you know what I'm going to become? I was (laughs) super resistant to it when I first learned about it. I was like, I would never do that. I think those words actually came out of my mouth. And within a year I was in the training. So I've since learned if I hear those words in my head, I would never do that. I'm probably going to (laughs) be doing it in short order. So, but for me, it was really, it was just following threads of what I was interested in my life and the help and support that I found that I needed. Ultimately, I mean, I was doing relating practices, which you know a lot about. That was where we met. Um, I was doing other sexuality practices. I was studying Zen. It was just sort of in the field of who am I? What is this world? How do I relate with it? And then came across this. And there's a pretty significant history of abuse and trauma in my family around sex. And there's been a lot of shadow around it. And that unconsciously, but then very consciously was a part of me finding my way to all of this of just sort of like mass. One of my therapists that I've worked with talks about some of us need to master the threat and the threat in my family, not to me personally or directly, but there was a pretty significant threat in my family around sexuality and shadow. And so my way of working with it has been to figure out and understand as much as I possibly can about it in my own way. I love that phrase of mastering the threat. It's helpful. And the opportunity of that. Yeah. Uh And what a beautiful journey you've had and the courage it took to get to where you are Especially that first year where you were like, I'm never going to do this. (laughs) Never going to do this. (laughs) And I was introduced into this kind of work really, well, sort of abruptly, but then also really gently. It was a, it was a good introduction. And there's lots of trainings for, if people are interested, there's 
the grounds of somatic sex education and sexological bodywork are sort of shifting constantly as to who's teaching what. But there's a few teachings. There's one up or trainings. There's one up in Canada. There's one in the UK. There's one in Australia. There aren't actually any led by people in the US currently, but it is a certification training. It's not recognized officially by any sort of government or state sort of situation. It's not regulated by anything. So, But it's legal. So it's a bit of the Wild West. Uh, it depends on where you are. Okay. Depends on where you are. It's legal in the UK. It's legal in Canada. It's not illegal in most of the US, but Right. It's in a gray area, which yeah. is interesting. <laughs> totally. totally. <laughs> That's probably a whole other conversation of, of working inside of a gray area. Yeah. Inside, yeah. In, yeah. So, well, it sounds like your journey has really informed what, in some ways, you're able to provide for other people. Mm. Like becoming more in contact with the unconscious realms of what's going on inside of family systems, inside of that are passed down. Mm-hmm. a lot of healing. I guess the question that I want to ask you is how would you describe what's happening at a very high level for an individual inside of this kind of work? For example, I felt like I really gained more sovereignty about who I am, what actually feels really good to me, what doesn't feel good to me. I was decoupling what I was taught around mm-hmm sexuality, my body, what intimacy should look like. Mm-hmm. It was a very self-developmental journey. And that's brought me into greater just like awareness and standing for myself and standing for what's actually true versus what I maybe has been indoctrinated as a result of growing up in the culture that we grew up in, into. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious at a high level, is that kind of the theme in general that is available for people, including healing trauma, including having greater connection with themselves and other people. Like what is the main theme if there was one that holds <laughs> that holds everything underneath it that's possible? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes so much sense. You're describing it really beautifully. I, I think yes, that's mostly what I would say I'm doing with people, even when they don't know that's what we're getting up to, that's what we're getting up to is getting out of whatever scripts are there or assumptions or expectations that we've been handed about how pleasure is supposed to look, how our bodies are supposed to look, how sex is supposed to happen, how intimacy and connection is supposed to happen and um, making more room, giving people more options, more space so that they can find what actually is enjoyable and pleasurable and connective for them. Great. So let's get into a couple different topics here. There's three topics that I want to touch on. Great. Which who knows where this is going to go. But the first one is just what you basically said around breaking out of what we think should feel good and what an intimate, like a successful intimate life looks like with a partner is often we often get images from this from media or we we take on what we witness our parents doing together and it's not necessarily an accurate reflection of what's at the deeper level of truth for us. So how would you 
invite people who are listening to this who are like, I don't even really understand what you're talking about or how would I, how would I even break out of something that I'm not even really conscious that I'm doing. But I also kind of know that I'm not getting the deep intimacy that we could be getting. It feels kind of, sexuality feels kind of routine. Intimacy mm-hmm. feels a little flat. I'm curious what you might say or invite into that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a big question because it depends on so many things. One thing that can be really helpful is setting aside time to explore where there's not, you're creating a container that's outside of the usual expectations that you might have or the usual routine you might have around sex. And probably it's best or easiest, simplest to start with yourself rather than with another person where you can set a timer or create a playlist for, I don't, I mean, I'm all about starting small, like five minutes can feel like an eternity if you haven't done this before, but you're setting a timer and then you're just getting curious about what feels good for your body in that moment. And then in the next moment, and then in the next moment and jumping around, experimenting, just seeing what, what impulses arise and following them. That's really the basis of the retraining. You don't have to even identify all of the scripts and stories that you have around all of it. I mean, they'll come up as you're with yourself. And then if you bring this to a partner, you can do the same thing where you set a timer and you're just exploring each other for a period of time without going down the usual grooves that you go down. But that will just start to give you a different capacity. It trains a different neural pathways really to be exploring and following the aliveness rather than going down the well, well-worn ruts. I love that. And that could look like anything. Like it could look like touching my face, for example. Yeah. It can look like, could it look like jumping up and down? Like, could it be like anything or is this more like a... <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, it can totally look like anything. I mean, it, there's some, I would say limits around it where if you're like reading a book, that's not quite what we're talking about. Right. It's more you with your body in some way. So moving, breathing, it can be totally still. It can be, you know, not like going for a run for exercise, but if it's like, oh, I just want to feel my legs moving in this way. Mm -hmm. Sure. Right. Okay. That could be a thing. I love that exercise and the retraining language feels so, mm-hmm. so right on. I love that so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. So we could go down this rabbit hole, or I mean, we could go into this content for a really long time. We're just going to take a quick break. And when we come back, then we'll talk about the other two topics, which are super juicy. And I can't wait to get in with you. So we'll be back in just a minute. We hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break to let you know about a gift we created for you and your partner. We compiled our top 10 relationship agreements, agreements that have been so powerful in supporting the success of our partnership that we even turned them into our wedding vows. These agreements help us stay connected, growing, and thriving as a couple, and they've been critical to help us create a kind of we that's way beyond what we've ever experienced before. You can download this free gift at kristavanderveer.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. 
Also, if you enjoy our podcast, it would be so meaningful to us if you left us a rating and review. Not only does it help others find us, but it gives us critical feedback on how we're doing. Thanks in advance. And now back to the episode. Okay, welcome back. We're talking with Alyssa Marine about all things yummy about somatic sex education and sexological body work. <laughs> nice. I'm getting it. I'm getting the language down. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it totally is. So I'm excited, Alyssa, to jump into a couple topics. And I was on your website and you have some amazing videos on there. And we'll give your information for those of you who are interested in checking out more information about Alyssa, which I highly recommend. Mm. And one of the videos that you have is about consent. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different directions I think we could go here. But what I'm interested in is how we can wake up with our partner to deeper levels of unconscious or subconscious material that's arising inside of our intimacy that we're not aware of that inhibits us to become closer, have a deeper connection. And in the consent video, you talked about the different states that can arise when we're in more of a and you can tell me if it's a trauma response. I know trauma mm. has different, you know, there's different ways to talk about trauma. But when we're noticing that we're going into a flight, fight, freeze, or appease, which appease is such a good, good one to get into, especially around mm. this kind of work, I believe, which you talked a lot about. So I would love just to hear a little bit from you about the opportunity that we can have with our partners when we notice that either we are in some sort of automatic behavioral intimate pattern because I think it might be related to this kind of appeasing or even freezing. There's something just to maybe help you. There's like, there's a difference for me between getting into automatic behavior and having some amount of activation or Right. Trauma response happening because the automatic behavior is relatively benign and can be worked with in a lot of different ways. But if there is some amount of fight, flight, freeze, appease happening, that's a definitely a very different conversation than autopilot. Okay. So it's a good distinction. What is the opportunity when we notice the fight, flight, freeze, or appease that's happening? And I I feel like I specifically want to do it when we're becoming intimate with our partner. Mm-hmm. It could also mm-hmm. relate to when we're getting into a rupture with our partner. But given the context of this conversation, I feel like there's a lot that you could share with us that I'm not familiar with or can't talk about. So what are your thoughts? Yeah. If you can recognize that that's happening for either one of you, if either one of you can recognize that that's happening, that's such a big deal. It's so just the uh, acknowledgement that, oh, okay, this is not, I'm not in my full self right now. Something else is happening. That is like such a huge deal because that's so hard because these responses in us, the fight, flight, freeze, especially freeze and appease, I would say, are designed to not be noticed. Right. And so recognizing them is step one. Oftentimes it requires some sort of help from somebody to whether our partners can help us with that, depending on our relationship. But outside help is usually really, really useful in identifying that that's what's going on. And it happens, I mean, 
I talk about this with the women I teach with a lot. We, I mean, we are trained in this kind of work. We've been through so much around consent. We've been in situations that most people would never put themselves in, in the sexological bodywork training where you're like, hands are on your body, your hands are on other people's bodies. And you're learning really quickly how to say yes, how to say no, how to slow down. And even with all of that, we've all three of us have found ways that we still override ourselves, mm. where we go into some amount of freeze or appease and don't totally notice it or work with it with our partners in the moment. And so it's such a complex, common thing. Yeah. Can you give examples about the freeze and appease? And like, this is what it looks like. This is the conversation that could be had in that moment, if you're aware mm -hmm. of the, the freeze or appease, mm -hmm. just to kind of ground it down a little bit. Yeah, the freeze can look like dissociation is the most typical one where you're just not present at all with what's happening. It's tricky because sometimes we're not present because we aren't very good at being present. Right. Right. And so our minds wander when we're with our partners to the laundry and all these other things. And, oh, what's this conversation that we're going to, all of that. So that's not dissociation necessarily. Mm -hmm. But if you find yourself the, this a sort of numbness or disengagement with what's happening can be signs of a freeze response. But freeze can be really tricky because it can look like part of you freezes. This is what happens for me. Part of me is gone mm. and like totally stuck and still and frozen. Other parts of me are performing and doing what I'm supposed to be doing right. and, and don't even notice it. And so it's the way these responses happen can be so individualized. So you really have to learn what does it look like for me? What does it look like for my partner? Appease can have that like at the extremes of it, it's like, okay, I'm going to do the thing that I know I don't want to do because it's the safer option mm -hmm. than not doing it. So a piece would be like, I know my partner will like this or it won't cause an issue if I bring this up. Like I want to please my partner. Is that a similar kind of a piece or is that different? It's again, tricky, right? Because there's a side of that that's really benign where it's like, yeah, I want to please my partner. Like mm -hmm. I love them. I want to give them what they want. But the appease comes in where an example from my own life in a past relationship that I was in was my partner's angry about something that happened between the two of us. I know that if I initiate sex with him in some way, then he won't be angry with me anymore, uh -huh, uh -huh. which is not come. I didn't want to, but I was appeasing him so that things were smoothed out, which I did want. Right. So it's like a, a tactic or a strategy yeah. to yeah. get into some form of connection, mm -hmm. although all of you may not be actually interested in right. doing the thing that you're doing. Right. Yeah. And this is where it gets really complicated around consent because we talk about, we mean the women I teach with, and I talk about this with clients where in any given situation, expecting ourselves to be a hell yes enthusiastic consent, right, is what we hear about a lot, it doesn't leave us a lot of room for exploration. 
And so, you know, oftentimes we'll have parts of us that are like, I don't know about this. I don't know if I want to be doing this. I don't know if this is a good idea. And other parts that are like, yes, Mm -hmm. this sounds really great. I'm really into this. I'm so up for this. And so there's a lot of nuance in learning how to navigate yourself and what these different parts are actually up to and what they're after. And you learn it by messing it up. You know, you don't have to do this perfectly. There's no perfect place to get to around consent. You're figuring it out with yourself, with a partner by experimenting, exploring, pausing, backing off, realizing, oh God, that was not a good idea. We need to reset and Mm -hmm. take a break, but then stepping back into different things. Great. I'm throwing a lot at you. No, 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 no. This is this actually is awesome because I feel like, okay. correct me if I'm wrong, but the second topic I want to talk to you about is the willing to versus wanting to conversation. And does that seem like it's related to what you're talking about when you're talking about some parts want to, but other parts are willing to, other parts are like, hell no. So one question I have is how do we navigate when we have different parts online? Mm-hmm. One is potentially enthusiastic, yes. And one is like a heck no. And we're in the moment with our partner. We're just learning how to communicate better with our partner about our parts and about what's up for us and what we're wanting to or what we're willing to. I feel like it's such a big conversation. But first, let's start with how do the parts work together here? Like, how do you or how do you coach people to move forward when we have maybe polarized parts inside of our system in an intimate moment with our partner? Yeah, I mean, you start really small so that there's less of a reaction. So oftentimes when I'm sitting with partners, sitting with a couple, I will have them, one is touching the other person's arm. So pretty low stakes in the grand scheme of things, low risk. And so much can happen just with touching the other person's arm. And so they're learning how to communicate and how to be with one another, and how to notice what's happening in themselves. So it's way slowed down, and it's way small. Yeah. Much smaller than like, okay, we're having sex, whatever that looks like, whatever that means, and we're trying to navigate this. That's just so complicated. You can't, most people can't start there as far as learning how to do this. And so that I would say... I mean, the training wheels are on because I'm in the room. I'm noticing what's happening and able to check in with everybody and help them navigate all these different parts of themselves. And that's really where I think it has to start. And then you can build into bigger experiences and have debriefs afterward. That is really helpful and important because we don't always know what's happening for us in the moment. We get to check in afterwards. I don't know if that answered your question because now I can't remember what it was. (laughs) That's okay. It did answer my question. It's like, how do we start to work with the parts of us? Yeah, got it, got it. And I feel like in the moment of working, just even touching each other's arms, it it could Mm -hmm. be an explicit conversation about, okay, if there's a real like live either support with somebody like you or Mm -hmm. we have the tools to communicate together, be like, okay, a part of me is really enjoying this. A part of me doesn't wants to stop. It's like you can start actually talking with each other about the different mm-hmm. aspects that are coming up. Mm-hmm. And you can negotiate between the parts of you of what is happening for the part of you that wants to stop. Mm-hmm. Why do they want to stop? And not in a interrogation of like, why do you want to stop? What's going on? But just getting there, getting this part's world 
of what's going on? Do you, what do you need? Because sometimes they just need to know that there's an end point or they right. need something different to be happening or it doesn't always show up with the level of nuance that's available. But if you follow some curiosity with it, it a lot more can unfold. I love that. I feel like I just got so much more excited about parts work and what, what we can do in this realm around parts work. So thank you for that. What about back to this conversation about willing to versus wanting to? So let's say a couple is listening where one person really loves a particular type of touch uh-huh. or a type of sex. The other partner really doesn't. Uh-huh. How do you coach people to both honor the boundaries and our partner's desires. I think that we're kind of getting at it through what we're talking about so far, but I'm wondering if you would speak to how you would coach a couple around a conflict like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first step I would say is starting to get really curious about how much they've actually communicated around this because most couples I would say aren't very good at talking about sex because most of us aren't very good about it. So much fear embarrassment, shame, just lack of skill shows up because we don't have a lot of frameworks or help in how to even just talk about these things. So that's really the first place for me is just getting them both talking about, okay, so you want this thing. What does that actually look like? What does that mean? Can you give me details around it? And then getting, just helping them navigate because oftentimes they don't, they're not actually talking about the same thing. Right. Which is always interesting. So making sure we're talking about the same thing is step number one. And then if they're still really at opposite ends or still really polarized around it, there's a figuring out even more of what does that mean for each of you? Like what's what's in the resistance? What's in the no? What's in the I really want and need this? Because again, we don't always know how to explore that in ourselves or Mm -hmm. with one another, especially around this. So then we're just sort of getting into the deeper layers of what will you get if this particular act or this particular kind of connection happens? Mm -hmm. What's the result of that? So it's, there's a lot of uncovering, mining, things like that. And then there is a place for finding in the consent language of Betty Martin, who's fantastic, check her out. She talks about willingness and willingness in her model is, you know, like it's, it's, so there's one partner who I always talk about it going, you're going to, you're going out to eat mm-hmm. and your partner, this is true the, with me and my now wife. I love pizza. I could eat pizza every single day. <laughs> Maybe not every single day, but pretty much every day. Love it. (laughs) And she doesn't really eat carbs because she eats mostly keto. Mm. And so we don't eat pizza together very often because it just doesn't work with how things go. But every once in a while, we'll be talking about dinner and she'll say like, maybe we can go get pizza. I know you really love it. I'm willing to go and get pizza with you because you love it so Mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. She's not gritting her teeth and saying, fine, we can go get some pizza, whatever. (laughs) It's more of like, you love pizza so much. I will go get pizza with you, even though it's not what I want, but I'm at the very least neutral about it. So neutral, I think is key. Yeah. Neutral to like, 
that sounds fantastic. Yeah. And so that can come into play with couples where, you know, we've done all this work to figure out what is it you really want? What is the resistance? What will happen if you get this? And then you just start to find ways to move towards something that brings in the willingness of both partners where it's not, you're not overriding yourself. I feel like I can't overstate this enough because my relationship with willing is like willing, like I'm not happy about it, but I'm willing to, but this is really, really at the very least neutral to fantastic. And so that can be a space of just finding different ways to relate and different ways to move towards some kind of experience that one partner is wanting and one is a no to or not sure about. I love the neutral conversation, neutral plus, not neutral Mm -hmm. negative. Mm -hmm. In terms of this conversation, I feel similar to you. Defining willing in my system, there's a little bit of have to or appeasing or something in there too. Yeah, absolutely. But this definition of willing is like neutral or more or p- towards the positive end of yeah. feelings is a game changer. It feels like a game yeah. changer for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's so helpful to have the framework of this because it gets us out of having to want the same things Yeah, and gives us an understanding of like, okay, this is like when we go and get pizza, it's for me. It's not for her. Right. It's for me. And so she gets to go along the ride of my pleasure and enjoyment. The same thing can happen in sex where maybe not the thing that I would choose to do, but I'm wholeheartedly showing up and offering myself, my touch, my body in some way that really brings a lot of enjoyment to my partner. And it's for them. And that can feel really good as well. Yeah. And I love the pizza example because I feel like there's so many ways that this can apply in everyday life outside of physical intimacy everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This can often apply for me and Will around social events where (laughs) he's really wanting to do something. And I, I'm like, heck no. Like, I just like, we just did five other things. Like I want to go home. I, I need to refill and recharge. But we do work it out until we get to neutrality, mm-hmm. which I didn't mm-hmm. realize that's that's exactly what's happening there until yeah. then we can make a decision from there together yeah. versus me just going along or him being resentful because we're not doing the thing. So yeah. I love this so much. And you get to, when you start to orient towards willingness, you get to set or work with limits and boundaries around it where it might be for you. It might be like, okay, I'm willing to go to this social thing, but for an hour. And then we're going to go, or we can go together, but I'm going to leave. We're going to take separate cars and I'm going to leave after an hour and you can stay or however it works. So you get to, and that can happen around sex too, where like, yeah, I'm willing to do this, but I need these things in order to be ready for it. Or I need to, it's not a like tit for tat sort of a thing. I don't want to get into that. It's not that kind of an arrangement, but it's, figuring out what really makes it work for the both of you. Right. Alyssa, this material is so enlivening to me because I, because yeah. I feel like it just offers us so much more possibility with ourselves, with our partners, with our generativity. You know, if we're not, if we're overwriting or if we're appeasing or if we're freezing, it's really hard to get in contact with our own generativity and enthusiasm and joy for life. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for the work that you do. I'm Aww. so grateful. You're so to welcome. all three of you that teach together. <laughs> mm-hmm.
Before we wrap up, I want to circle back to the conversation about trauma and this work. How is trauma with either a capital T or a small T, you can define that how you define it, addressed inside of working with somebody like you? Let's just say you, because I know that everybody works differently. Totally differently. Yes. How do you address trauma in these areas? And what's the opportunity for people who potentially have a lot of sexual trauma or intimate trauma and they come to you and seek some support or help? Because I'm imagining that this could be loaded with healing possibility and potentially a lot of trauma given who we are in, in this world right now. Yeah. I mean, as soon as I started working one-on-one with people, I quickly realized I needed training around trauma because I would argue pretty much all of us have some amount of big T or little t trauma in this arena. Just growing up in the culture we grow up in tends to create some amount of um, rupture in our belonging when it comes to our sex and our pleasure. So so you're going to run into it, I guess, is the first yeah. thing to acknowledge. And it's so, what I love about this work is that we're not just digging around in the trauma that's there to resolve it, whether it's an individual or a couple that I'm working with. We're orienting toward what is also already well between a couple within a person individually, and then growing more of that because that's still there. Even, even with people that I've worked with who have so much trauma in this area of their lives or just in general, because if you have general trauma in other areas of your life, it can certainly impact how sex and intimacy happen for you because it's so intimately tied up in our nervous systems and our nervous systems are so intimately tied up with our sex and our pleasure. So there's just a, I don't want it to sound like we're all in serious trouble here, but there's just a lot of ways it can show up. And there's a lot of ways that reconnecting with pleasure studies are showing that pleasure heals trauma as we step into and connect with more and more pleasure and even just sensation Mm. in ourselves and with a partner that can start to free up our nervous systems to be orienting toward what's well instead of only orienting toward the trauma. Mm. And so what can sometimes happen is as you start orienting more and more toward what's well, what's working, what feels good, again, with yourself or with a partner, that starts to get bigger and the trauma starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller until it's not the biggest thing in the room. I love that so much. And I can even see in my own system how in life in general, I'm walking through life. Am I focused on what doesn't feel well or am I focused on what feels really well? And Mm -hmm. it really impacts my whole system and it impacts my relationship and it impacts my intimacy. Absolutely. And so I love the concept of that as a practice with our partners and our intimacy with each other. And I love the concept of pleasure healing trauma. Oh my God, it's so amazing. So awesome. Yeah. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much again for being with us and Mm -hmm. being our first guest. It's such a delight to have you. Mm -hmm. Feel tickled. (laughs) (laughs) The sensation is so sweet, so nice. (laughs) How can people find you? 
if they want more information or they want to go deeper with you or more find out more information about your work? Yeah, my website's a really great place to go, alyssamarine.org. It's M-O-R-I-N, to be clear on that. And were you going to say something? Oh, so I'll just spell it A-L-Y-S-S-A-M-O-R-I-N.org. We'll put it in the show notes, too. I also have, if you go to simplesex.org, there's a course, it's just online, pre-recorded, 10 I think they're about a half hour, 45 minute session specifically for couples and getting into a lot of the basics that I do with couples in person, but it's really um, breaking things down into these small conversations, into these small experiments you can get up to, to start to build your capacity to work with whatever is showing up for you or not showing up for you in sex. Amazing. Thank you so much for offering that to our audience. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Great. Well, thank you again, Alyssa. It's such a joy to be with you. And thank you for the work that you're doing. It's so impactful. And you are a person that I, I trust so much in this area. I mean, I guess one last question real quick is, okay, if people are looking for somebody like you yeah. on a local level, but they're not here in Boulder, Colorado, mm-hmm. could you give a couple ideas of how they can find somebody that is really trustable, has the right credentials or background to do this kind of work? Well, there's sexologicalbodyworkers.org and there's a list of practitioners who are at the very least certified sexological body workers. It's tricky because the field of working with sexuality is still very much the wild, wild west. And so I think it's really important to do research and to talk to people, talk to a practitioner before you ever um, are paying them and working with them and get your questions answered and get a feel for them because, because that matters a lot. What, how, how safe or at ease you feel or connected you feel with a practitioner probably matters more than what their specific training is in. And a lot of us, like I work online with people as well. Oh, and good. So, okay, good so to know. It's different than in person, and so much can happen. Um, yeah. And I vouch for Alyssa's work in all the realms. Um, <laughs> even if it is online, I know that it's going to be super impactful. So, mm-hmm. fantastic. Thanks, Chris. Okay. Thank you, Alyssa. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this content valuable, please follow this show and share it with your partner or other key collaborators. If this show has sparked an interesting conversation based on these topics, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Art of We Podcast. And we'll see you next time when we explore what it means to be better together, like butter and toast on the Art of We.